Law Focus Podcast. Law Focus. Handing you your rights. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Law Focus. My name is Melissa Ndiweni and I'm going with... My name is Tsapa Muhape, attorney. And together, we will be your voice of law for the evening right here on VIVM 88.1. Are you convinced that South Africa is a religious state or not? Yeah, yeah, we're interesting to question. Are we secular or aren't we secular? Or aren't we so secular? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're a religious person, you probably feel that for moral fiber to be part and parcel of our state would really help the you know the state of the states excuse yeah, the pun yeah, yeah. you know that there won't be any corruption that there will be ethics yeah. um of course you don't have to be real, a religious person in order for you to be an ethical person yeah. but it's a nice bone of contention to have an argument about yeah. but if you are agnostic uh, or more so atheist actually you would probably feel that religion and states should never ever mix you know the idea okay. of religion probably just makes you sick to your stomach anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know and Karl Marx the great 19th yeah. century philosopher said that religion is the opiate of the ma- masses the and mass. you would probably definitely agree with that notion <laughs> so, uh, religion is the opiate of the masses and, yeah, yeah well if you are religious um, then a lot of your your, your moral and and, and um, and ethical sort of cornerstones are based on your religion. In but deity. Of, yes, but of course, if you're not religious, you might base them from something else. Uh, but yeah, it's a very important question in light of the events of the inauguration uh, over the weekend and the swearing-in this week. Yeah. Now, to help us understand the nature of our state and the role that religion can play in our state, as well as how far Section 16 or Section 15 of our Constitution is allowed to stretch, um, we have invited a, a constitutional law expert, uh, Pierre de Force, and he has um, written quite a, a bit and has spoken quite a bit on constitutional matters, and we want him to give us some analysis into the legal and sort of jurisprudence and the ethics of the church and state uh, as well as um, a uh, media commentator will look into it as well. And he's uh, Gershwell Brooks. Uh, so you really don't want to miss the discussion today. It is relevant. Yeah, and it's very, very topical. And of course, you do know that you can join the conversation by tweeting us on at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. Alternatively, you may send us a voice note on WhatsApp and the number to dial is 84 Zero seven eight four nine one two. But of course, before we get into this topical discussion for the evening, we have to first delve into the biggest and hottest legal stories of the week. Here are our legal hotspots. Yeah. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week. It's legal hotspots. So towards the end of 2018, the South African Bar Association, which is a forum for advocates, kind of had a little split whereby they decided that they're going to have a new association that will be instituted called the Pan-African Bar Association of South Africa and it would be mainly representative of black and female advocates which I think is important because transformation within the legal fraternity is very slow. Yeah, I know. I mean, it it, it goes at a 
at a snail's pace. The the legal profession is undergoing uh, uh, overall. It's undergoing some um, real changes in the way it's regulated, and uh, the admission of attorneys and advocates and the um, admission requirements have been changed, and also the the authorities who um, regulate them and govern them has also changed. But the legal profession, and I'm a member of it, is un you know is uncannily or un unusually slow to change and that's in almost every aspect it's more of a reactive yeah a lot of attorneys even if they're maverick attorneys are or you know very conservative uh, and that's because we like certainty but i mean in forms of tra- in terms of transformation and so on that is problematic and especially racial transformation in this country so this for me is a very good move and uh, it's tentative at the moment we'll see uh, how strongly it 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 it, it, it uh, or how far it goes and how how quickly it picks up but i mean it changes inevitable and it must happen it's the only constant that exists in the it's world it's a good progress yes. uh, a brave one and we really do wish them the best absolutely um, and i mean fully behind it as a black professional myself fully behind the initiative uh, well, and 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 now let's go to the public protector, who is again in the news. She was in the news last week, quite famously for her report, and now she has um, made it again. Yes, again, that's not a bad thing. And in this in in uh, in this week, uh, she, uh, uh, she has found against the former Minister of Finance, Mr. Pravin Gordhan, of improper conduct relating to a pension fund payout to former Deputy SARS Commissioner Ivan Pillay. So what the uh, public prosecutor found was that the um, the payout to Mr. Pillay, which was an early retirement, was uh, un- unlawful in essence. We didn't have the authority to do it. was outside of the normal bounds of the law and shouldn't have been done. And it has really created some um, real consternation and divided the country. Absolutely, because I think there's, there's a lot of complexities. I'm struggling myself to come to terms with the proper real arguments on both sides of the case. A lot of people might feel this time she actually has a point because a lot of people aren't able to actually have an early retirement fund for reasons that pertain to the fact that you can't afford it the Mm. tax um, implications etc and people are asking what is so special about Pele which on the other hand Praveen had actually tried to find legal grounds to be able to actually uh, apply for place early retirement and at the time if the uh, maybe the administrative decision was wrong but at the time he was given the go-ahead when he actually decided to institute um, the action mm. which today the public protector is saying <laughs> but of course it's not even the only case that is against uh, Minister Gordon you yeah. know the public protector has also spoken about the rogue units is something else that's still pending for him and so it's a lot of people are saying this is a political ploy so that he's not part of cabinet well you know i mean the public protector must do her job if she receives a complaint she needs to uh investigate that complaint particularly if it's a serious complaint such as this one and um whether people agree with her or not um, the report is binding until it's reviewed by a court of law. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the context of the last uh, couple of reports, uh, big reports which were uh, not accepted, 
um, you know, the SARS, not the SARS, the, the, the Reserve Bank one, as well as the, um, the Estimeni, no, the Estimeni, for the Freda Dairy um, um, issue, a lot of people are, are, are questioning our competence. But as it stands now, it's binding. Mr. Gordon, if he has a problem with it, can take it on review. Which he has. And then in our final story for this week, so last year, there was a man who went on holiday. He was in Greece. He was having fun. And he took a video. And in that video, he... Oh, he was brave. Oh, he video. was very brave. Yeah, he no, he was very brave. Yeah, and you could only see white. And he basically said, there are no, use the K word, in size, which yeah. is basically awesome for him. Brilliant. I don't know why he lives in South Africa. He can just move. <laughs> one I mean, has to wonder. I mean, even if he was born in South Africa. Even if he was no, born in South Africa. And no, the thing nothing is... Nothing keeps a person here if they don't want to be here. Exactly. Yeah. He's obviously got the money to leave, so yeah. he can as well. I happen to be at court today, at the same court as Mr. Katsavello. Mm, did you not uh, get infected with some disease? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. I made sure that... Uh, I washed my hands with Dettol uh, after having seen him. But um, it, it, it was interesting to see how timid he was. Uh, he, I mean, he covered his, ha- his face with, uh, uh, with paper and he rushed uh, to, the, um, uh, to his car from the court. It was almost comical, which was uh, in complete contrast to the arrogance that one saw um, during the, the video. video. Mm-hmm. And I believe that his defense is partly based on jurisdiction, where he will in all probability dispute that South African court has jurisdiction over the matter. I don't know, but like I feel like if you if you're racist or if you're sexist or whatever it is the ist that you are, it follows you. It's part of your identity, yes. you know? So the yes. jurisdiction matter for me it's a bit like but even if he was overseas, the fact that he made these comments about specific people who are here in our home should be enough reason for us to be able to implicate him. Um, he needs to go and join his friend in jail. Yeah, let's hope he doesn't hurt himself in that stretch. <laughs> you are tuned into Law Focus on BioFM 88.1. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week, Legal Hotspots. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFam88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Section 15 of our Constitution certainly allows you to openly follow a faith if you so choose. You can even evangelize if you so wish. Just this past week, we had the first sitting of the 6th Parliamentary Assembly where we saw the National Assembly and the NCOP being constituted. And on both occasions, there were prayers by religious leaders of different faiths. Not only that, but the Chief Justice expressed his religious sentiments publicly whilst carrying out his state functions by praying in the National Assembly. And during the inauguration of the President, he gave Mr. Ramaphosa a Bible. I'm interested to know how you feel about this. Perhaps we are just being disingenuous by having this conversation after the Chief Justice's religious affirmation, but to help us navigate our thoughts and feelings around this topic is none other than South African constitutional law scholar, Pierre DeForce, who joins us now on the line. Mr. Pierre DeForce, welcome to Law Focus. Uh, yes, thank you for having me. Let's begin by perhaps you briefly giving us the role and duties of what a constitutional law chief justice actually is. Well, in terms of the constitution, the chief justice heads up the judiciary. So the, he's in control really of um, the judiciary. 
Um, so that's the administrative role. Um, he's then also, because of that, he chairs the Judicial Service Commission, which is the body that selects judges at the point and decide on the appointment of judges. And the other very important role is, of course, he's one of the 11 judges that actually sits on the Constitutional Court, hear cases and make judgments about constitutional and other matters as the highest court of the country. Mm. In the operation of your work as, as a civil servant, whether you're a teacher or a nurse, a judge, whatever it is that you are, a police officer, are you ever allowed to bring your personal religious beliefs to the fore? Well, if you are um, working within a state-aided institution, so if you're the Department of Home Affairs or you um, a teacher or whatever that might be, then it is possible to have religious observance of some kind, so to pray, to read the Bible or the Quran or whatever, but only if that is done in terms of rules that were made beforehand, if the conduct is treating religion and beliefs on an equitable basis, so there must be some fairness, and thirdly, it has to be voluntary. So it is not really possible, for example, at a graduation ceremony, um, inauguration or whatever, to have religious observance of some kind because it will not be voluntary. People, it will be sort of jumped on, on people and that will not be allowed. That is different from uh, announcing beforehand this is going to happen and it's not one of those important things that you're really forced to go and you may have a choice, either attend or not attend. So say at school, there could be observance uh, on Friday mornings at the um, gathering and the students, the, the learners who don't want to do that can be given another option to go and sit and uh, paint or sing songs or whatever the case may be. Mm. So meaning that we can actually make a comparison in law between the use of religion in schools, especially like public schools and, and the use of religion um, within the state, be, the, be it the judiciary, the legislature or the executive, by you saying that as long as firstly um, it has been said beforehand that we will do this and secondly it should be voluntary it's not a forced matter that everyone has to sit in throughout the proceedings yes that is correct so this it's very important that it must be voluntary because at the very heart of freedom of religion but of course the constitution doesn't only protect that also freedom of conscience the freedom not to believe but at the heart of that there is a need to accommodate different groups and not to enforce your beliefs on somebody else um, and so that's at the heart of the matter of course sometimes that will be very difficult or even impossible because your right to, to have your beliefs um, either religious or otherwise might clash with very other important rights for example your right not to be discriminated against if, if there's a church that believes uh, that one racial group is superior to another and you want to pros- uh, 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 proselytize on that, the law might well tell you, no, you're not allowed to do that because that is racist or sexist or whatever. And then your right to freedom of uh, religion might be limited. Yeah. I mean, we also know that Section 15 of our Constitution is the clause that essentially legitimates our right to whatever religion or to not follow a religion, as you rightly said, a belief or a conscious. But how does this apply to the state and the functions of and within the state? Okay, so we have a a system in which we say 
as I said before, um, where we have been trying to do try and accommodate differences, um, and the state can also try and accommodate the differences by not choosing one belief or religion above another, because the the court has also said there's, there's, there are ways in which the state can behave, or, or members who, um, who forms part of the state can behave that's going to send a subtle signal that the state's power, prestige, and so on is behind that particular religion. And that would not be good because that that will basically force people or make people feel afraid to have a different view. That cannot happen. But as long as it's voluntary, um, uh, as long as people, and, uh, they can, there can be some accommodation of different beliefs. And of course, everybody has every right in other private settings to do whatever they want to. If, um, if you're at home or if in your church or your synagogue or whatever, um, you can believe and say whatever you want to, but not um, if you are um, an agent of the state. So if you're a doctor in a state hospital, you can cannot say, well, my um, religion tells me I'm not going to treat gay men and lesbians. Um, that will not be permitted. If you believe that at home or in your church, that is a different matter. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you said so much crucial things, but now with regards to the recent actions that we saw by Constitutional Court Justice Mokhweng Mokhweng, where he invited members of parliament to participate in his prayer, for instance, and perhaps even his um, giving of the Bible as a gift to the president at the inauguration. Were those actions in particular legally appropriate? Um, I didn't see it specifically, so it's a bit difficult for me to comment. comment. I would say this, that when um, the, the Chief Justice, of course, um, is in a special position because um, he is, or if it's a sheesh, is um, not only an, uh, employed by the state, so to speak, but is also a judge that's going to have to be impartial. And so you have to be careful in public and not to give anybody the, 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 the feeling or the impression that you are going to prefer some people above others. Whether this happened in the particular case, I don't know, but in Parliament, there might be another problem, and that is, I'm not sure that there was voluntary, to the extent that it did not have been voluntary, um, that might be an issue. But that doesn't mean that the the Chief Justice is not permitted to have religious beliefs and even to say so in certain contexts. In an official context, it may be more difficult than in a private context. There's nothing that prohibits the Chief Justice say in an interview with the radio station to say, well, of course, I'm a Christian, um, I am even a lay preacher. That is perfectly fine. In a, in a formal setting, the question, it becomes more difficult and it, whether it's un lawful I don't know it's, I'm sitting on the fence on this but is it inappropriate probably yeah it sounds like it's a bit of a fine line especially when you speak about how I mean in parliament what he did was whatever religion you belong to if it's meditation that y'all do as your prayer or whatever it is you can do that um, does that then negate him seem, seeming to be someone who is imposing his views by so doing. 
Mm, yeah, if if there is voluntariness and if there is a recognition, perhaps it it softens it definitely. If there is a recognition that there is not one religion or one belief system, that there are many. If there is respect for the diversity, for the difference, for the fact that the one religion is not necessarily valued more than another, that would be go a long way to um, to address any concerns one might have had. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, in legal practice such as in courts, when a person swears under oath, often it is expected for them to say, so help me God. Of course, there might be an option for a declaration instead of that particular oath. Um, but essentially, does this not give a high regard to certain religious beliefs and practices more privilege than others? Uh, yes, so uh, that's an interesting question. Our constitution actually um, is a bit different, say, from the very um, rigid constitutions in the U.S., where there's a rigid separation between religion on the one hand and the state on the other. There are even cases from the U.S. Supreme Court that took the city council to court because they put up Christmas lights and they said, no, you are endorsing the Christian religion here. That's not allowed. And the court ruled um, that 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 was indeed the case. In South Africa, we don't have that. In the preamble to the constitution, there's a reference to God. Um, In section 15 itself, it says there could be in those strict circumstances a recognition of religion and so that means that we don't have a complete separation between religion and non-religion but it cannot be in any way coercive or give the impression that the state is a preferring one religion above another um, and so as long I think as you have a choice either to say so help you God or to just swear on the constitution or what other document that should probably be fine uh, given that we don't have that absolute separation between the religion and the state that we have in the US. And that is interesting because everyone believes that South Africa is a, a secular state, you know, but perhaps you can also allude to that in, in your final um, comments to this question. Is South Africa reflective of its notion of religious diversity generally? And if not, what changes or improvements ought to be made in this regard? Well, you see, I think the, at the heart, as I said, of our system is trying to accommodate a difference. And so I think people, especially people who, be, who are members of the more dominant religions, people who are Christian um, and so on, sometimes uh, forget that they, they, you have to have respect in our system for difference and diversity. And so whether somebody is uh, atheist, somebody is uh, Jewish, or somebody is a Muslim, uh, Rastafarian, whatever, one has to accommodate those things. And I think that is a good thing. Uh, it says that we know that some people are very religious, that it's very important for them. We want to respect that. But that respect also requires places a duty on those individuals to respect others who are different from them. It's not a one-way street that only non-religious believers, people must respect religion, but religious believers shouldn't respect um, atheists or agnostics or whatever. They should be mutual um, respect, uh, on both even sides. if we don't agree. Yeah, absolutely. I think this makes for a very interesting legal jurisprudence argument and perhaps people like you, scholars like yourself, can continue writing more about this, especially in light of some of the developments that we are seeing in South Africa nowadays. 
Um, yes, so we will we will see. There's going to be a lot of um, uh, latest, um, jurisprudence probably in the near future, also about what happens in schools and also about the clash between religion and the right to equality, especially as far as uh, LGBT. Uh, I people are concerned and so it's going to be very interesting to see what the court says. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us right here on Law Focus, Mr. Pierre DeFors, who is a constitutional law expert. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, that was a very interesting interview with uh, Mr. DeFors. Um, it's clear that, you know, the the the, the, the question around the separation of church and state isn't really as clear-cut as we might uh, sometimes like it to be. I mean, in, in practice, we have human beings dealing with human emotions and, and, and human experiences. And part of that experience is um, is religion. It, you know, the mere fact that one occupies a, a public space uh, doesn't mean... Uh, that their religion is completely ignored. But I think it, it's finding that balance between when it is okay, acceptable uh, to uh, to infuse your religion into what you're doing and when it isn't. And from the, um, from the interview, I think when you're dealing as an agent of the state, and it doesn't matter in what capacity, but as an agent of the state, then your religion should take a back seat and you should perform your duties. Yeah, absolutely. I also found that part very interesting about the conflation of religion and state. But do stay tuned in. You are listening to Law Focus on Vow FM 88.1. Law Focus on Vow 88.1. Point of information. So we saw parliamentarians taking up their oaths of office this past week, the National Assembly and the NCOP were once again constituted. And the two options that are there when they do actually make that affirmation um, for their commitment to, to, to actually uphold the rule of law in South Africa, the two options that the Chief Justice was giving are either you say, so help me God, or you say, I do. Career. That's number one. Number two, in a court of law in South Africa, when a witness is about to testify, again, there's what seems to be a faith-based kind of practice whereby you put your, is it your right hand on the Bible? Oh, yes. They no longer have the Bible in court. But in principle, you still raise your right hand. It's, you still raise your right and hand. And say, so help, so me, help God. me God. That's if you take the oath. That's yes. if you take the oath. Yes. Otherwise, you again have a declaration. Yes, you have an affirmation. An affirmation. Yes. And then, the, then, then, then there's the Chief Justice praying recently. I think it was the first where in the National Assembly, he felt that perhaps our ethics in this country have not been so good over the past 10 years or whatever. And so he invited everyone within the National Assembly or the other parliamentarians to join him in his prayer saying, listen, maybe you don't pray by saying, dear Lord, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Maybe you just meditate. Whatever it is that you do, join me in this important occasion let us invite uh the deity the you know call for divine intervention as a new state and a government is assumed mm, with mm. all these thoughts 
I mean, share your thoughts with us. Should state and religion be separated? Because these are obviously examples of religious interference within the state. So we did ask you this question from your boxes, <laughs> and this is precisely what you had to say. Hi, uh, my name is Tabiso Rapapula. I'm studying at Vets University, doing masters uh, in African languages, uh, specifically computational linguistics. Um, I'm 25 years of age this year. So um, what Chief Justice uh, did in the Parliament, I don't see anything wrong there. Uh, whether he his prayer, uh, um, I think it was it, it was good. Um, South Africa is a diverse country, yes, of course, uh, but the way in which he was praying, all religions, they do pray at some point. Whether they pray to Allah, they pray to God, they pray to, you know, whatever, the, 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 the supernatural being, all religions at the, at the end of the day, they do pray. So prayer, it's, 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 I think it's universal across, uh, across all the religions in South Africa, so I don't see anything wrong with him praying. Uh, hi, my name is Neo Samoko. I am in my third year LLB. Well, third year doing my LLB degree. Uh, my view on uh, the Chief Justice having to pray in uh, Parliament before the opening session, I feel that it's a tradition that has always been observed because we do know that uh, in every sitting of Parliament, there's usually uh, they do usually start with a moment of uh, uh, prayer or reflection. Uh, the only difference is that uh, he had to now uh, go down and pray on his knees. Uh, so I feel that uh, he is uh, rightfully protected in the Constitution, Section 15 of the Constitution. Uh, which protects uh, uh, freedom of religion uh, being practiced. Uh, he is not enforcing it on anyone, and um, it, it, it's something that anyone uh, can do at any time. You take the example of the inauguration where they had an interfaith mission. Uh, are we now saying that uh, simply because the Chief Justice was praying at uh, the opening of uh, the Sixth Parliament uh, that the interfaith mission of all those um, uh, the Muslim, Hindu and the Judaism uh, priests that uh, prayed at the inauguration were not meant to have prayed. So I think uh, everyone is uh, entitled to practice uh, their freedom of religion uh, in whatever way they do decide to uh, express it. Um, I'm doing third year super chem. I think what the judge did was okay because, I mean, he's one person. It doesn't make sense to take a person away from his religion and he wasn't forcing it on anyone. He was just expressing who he is and what he believes in. And so although it's a secular country, we are allowed to express our whole selves the way we are. So yeah, that's what I think. Uh, my name is Tabang and I'm doing my third year in LLP. So basically what my opinion is of this is that um, Chief Justice did actually say that um, whatever you believe might be, so if you pray, if you meditate or whatever beliefs you might have, you can practice that, right? But although uh, there was that disclaimer, I feel like there was no need for... We should always strive to separate the church and the state yeah, at all costs. So religion from the state at all costs must be separated. But although I understand that he meant no harm by it and he actually did explain why he was doing it. But preferably we avoid doing that at all costs. Yeah, especially since this is a place where, I mean, South Africa is very, it's a secular state, that's so what we say it is. Right, so it would be better if we all just be neutral. You can believe or believe in whatever, but then just go pray in the, in the toilets if there's a, there's a need, you know, but then don't, don't, don't televise it. 
Hello, my name is Hazel Ramutlou. I'm studying nature science and engineering, second year at Wits University. Well, I think if you asked the crowd that uh, should we pray in a Christian way and, and, and people agreed that it's fine, you can go on and pray, even if like they're not going to get involved in the praying matter, but he asked and people agreed then it's fine for him to pray in a Christian way. Although we understand that there is a diversity of people. Maybe while he's busy praying, they could also, you know, uh, perform their own form of prayer. And um, the issue of, like, religion and states, yeah, I think um, it should, but it should not specify which kind of, like, religion. Like, we know that people perform religious in a different way so if they could just say thank you lord not, not really specify which lord i don't know like maybe to bring peace into the parliament and everything because i, I believe that before you start anything or when you end any event like you should tell like the person or whoever you believe in to bring peace into that event those are all very, very, very interesting views. And they are diverse. I mean, some people agreeing and others feeling that it wasn't a prudent move by the Chief Justice. Um, but, I mean, that's also exercising some of our freedoms. So, uh, to join us today, to to unpack this a little bit further and to look into the freedom of religion and the um, and the interplay that it has with public office, we have Mr. Uh, Gershwell Brooks, who's a media commentator. I mean, we are in South Africa, where it's a great diversity of individuals, and it's always good to have a perspective of an individual who perhaps looks at it um, from a media perspective and from a commentator's perspective. Hello, Mr. Brooks. Welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, and good evening to your listeners. I think I should just make a couple of disclaimers. Um, yes. Of course, I am the communications coordinator for the South African Human Rights Commission as well. Yes. And um, uh, apart from that, I'm also a WITS alumnus, uh, the law school more specifically. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's very interesting, the commentary coming through. And uh, to be honest with you, the, the first third-year law student that spoke, you know, the series of uh, voice notes that you played. Yes. Um, in my opinion, you know, it, it shows that uh, the Wits Law School still has high standards because I think he hit uh, the nail on the head in that particular instance. Okay. No, that's good. That, uh, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, a lot of people have all sorts of takes on it. But let's unpack this a little bit. Let's yeah. let, let's start by asking the, the you know we always work on the presumption that there is such a thing as a secular state. But let's perhaps go a little bit. Uh, uh, back and, and ask what is a secular state? Is South Africa a secular state? And can there ever actually in practice be such a thing as a secular state? Yes indeed and I think South Africa is the, probably the perfect example of a uh, secular state and I'm speaking from the perspective that despite being a secular state, so a secular state is a country that does not, its laws its policies and its systems is not based on a religious bias so an example of a country that wouldn't be, or state that wouldn't be secular, but rather, uh, for argument's sake, a theocracy, would be, for example, Vatican City or the Vatican State, where obviously the head of state is the Pope, 
um, the laws and the systems are based on that of the Catholic Church. Or alternatively, another example of a theocracy would be, say, Saudi Arabia, uh, where you have a version of Sharia law that's implemented, and in other words, that law is informed by Quranic laws and principles. So in other words, it is a state that is then governed uh, from the perspective of a religious, a particular religious bias and a particular religious view. South Africa is not that type of a state. It's a secular state, which means that no particular religion informs the policies or the laws of the state, and you can't use religion as a basis of creating certain laws and policies. But uh, I think it is also important to then highlight the fact that despite being a secular state, South Africa is a a state that does recognize and constitutionally protect. And that's why I said that the first speaker uh, is a third-year law student hit the nail on the head by pointing out that Section 15 of the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, does actually protect your right to freedom of religion, belief, and opinion. Mm, so, mm, mm. Uh, in as much as we're saying that the law of the land and the policies of the land shouldn't be informed by religion, we give individuals and groups the right and the opportunity to believe in whatever they choose to believe in. That's that's that, that's an interesting take on it because uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned before I'm an attorney myself, and I have a slightly different view of it that you can never have a secular state, and, and the reason I say that is, for instance, in South Africa, although our policies perhaps aren't um, uh, in directly informed by religion, religion yeah. pro- props up or crops up in everyday governance and in our lives for instance every sunday uh, the whole country is off uh, because it's the christian sabbath if we were for example jewish we'd take it on, on saturday that's one example or we make a a reference to god in court when we want to make an oath uh, and yeah. we consider it binding on our conscience. So, and then we take all of the Christian holidays as public holidays as well. So from my perspective, I've always viewed it that it's very difficult to have a completely secular state. What you can have is perhaps a state that doesn't uh, put religion at the center, but gives a big nod towards the majority uh, religion of its uh, population. W- what do you think of that? Well, of course, that is true. There is, as you said, and I think you've uh, um, you know, correctly framed it by saying that there is a nod to religion. But, for example, we're not imprisoning people for um, working on a Sunday. So if I decide that I want to go into the office and do some work, or I have a shop and I open my shop on a Sunday, I'm not facing imprisonment because the state says it's the Sabbath, you know, the Christian Sabbath. Alternatively, if I open my shop or I do uh, some form of work on a Saturday, then I'm facing imprisonment because it's the Jewish uh, Sabbath. Or if I do work on a Friday at half past 12, uh, when Muslims obviously observe their holy day, um, you know, by going to mosque at that particular point in time, I'm also not under threat of, I don't know, facing some criminal sanction or yes. or, or being arrested. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So I do think that, you know, they and, and I think also in terms of broader policy, I mean, you, you use the example of the courts, and it's an example in this discussion, in this debate that's happened elsewhere, where people make reference to the fact that, yeah, but if I go to court, then I take an oath, and I put my hand on the Bible, the law clearly states that you can take an affirmation if you don't want to take an oath. Yes, or alternatively, that if you so wish, 
that you can take your oath based on your particular religious background. So, uh, in essence, you'd say the same thing, but instead of placing your hand on the Bible, you would put it on whatever religious text uh, you see fit. Yes, yes. In, in, uh, assuming in, 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 that your religion uh, um, you know, supports the notion of an oath yes. in the first place. In, in fact, the, 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 the Bible itself has been removed from the equation. You simply take the, the oath nowadays without without a religious book. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, let's move to the Chief Justice and his position. Now, you know, the office of the Chief Justice is an extremely important one. Um, sure. it, it, it's from an administrative point of view. It's that of the, the judiciary ensures that the judiciary has got certain standards uh, that it must adhere to in terms of its office bearers and its functioning. Uh, but from uh, sort of uh, uh, even an ideological perspective, um, one could say that one of the primary jobs is to protect the Constitution and ensure that um, the laws and the um, uh, policies implemented by the state are in line with our constitution and our chief justice is famously quite a religious individual uh, sure. which no one in re- really has a problem many people in south africa are religious but he he um prayed at uh, the inauguration of swearing in i believe and uh, it has caused some discussions with people having somewhat extreme views is your take on it that he overstepped the mark or are we making a, are we having a, 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 a storm in a teacup here? I think it is a major storm in a teacup, and I think that we are definitely that the Chief Justice uh, they definitely did not overstep the mark whatsoever. And I think we need to also frame this conversation within the fact that the Chief Justice and many other office bearers, whether they head up Chapter Nine institutions, the uh, the judiciary, um, or you know any other arm of the of the state. Um, they are human beings, and that they are actually holistic human beings that are made up of very many portions. Mm. Um, as you know, we just came out of our national elections on the 8th of May. So my assumption is, is that the Chief Justice probably voted for a particular political party. Um, at the very same time as we agree, the Chief Justice is a man of religion. Uh, so my assumption is that he's quite a regular attendant at church on a Sunday. Yes, I believe he's so, a lay minister, actually. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So on that basis, um, you know, I, 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 we can't remove those aspects of his life. I mean, he has children, he has a wife, or at least a, a spouse. Um, so in other words, all of those things make a holistic human being mm-hmm. that obviously frames you in anything and everything that you do. What mm-hmm. the Chief Justice, I would be concerned, and I think that everyone else in South Africa should be concerned, the day the Chief Justice, for example, bases his decision on Bible scripture rather than the Constitution. And that is not happened, at least not as the Chief Justice of the Constitution. He's always referred back to the Constitution. He's always referred back to uh, case law, supporting legislation, and even international law. But I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, no matter how much research you do on this, you won't find that the Chief Justice was informed by scripture. Yeah, that's true. And that's why I think that we're not too, we shouldn't be too concerned. Too, too concerned about now, as for his prayer, uh, at the swearing-in of the uh, parliamentarians, uh, the members of parliament. The issue is he did it individually. He took a private moment, knelt down, and prayed silently to himself. Gershwin, could I just interrupt you just for a second? I think I need to take a quick uh, ad break, but I'd like you to continue because this is a very, very, very important part of what I think you need to uh, explain to us here. 
Sure. Okay, thanks. Hi, and welcome back to the show. Um, hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, thank you. Um, uh, just um, going back to the private moment that the Chief Justice took. Sure. I think, yeah, you were explaining to, uh, that to us. And uh, uh, if you could just expand on that, because I think that's a very important thing that you've... Uh, even though the, the, the private moment was televised, I mean, but, I mean, you, you're phrasing it as a, as a private moment, and, and let's, let, let's unpack that a bit. Yeah, so as I was saying, he privately, and when I mean mm. privately, of course, we understand that that's why we see the photos and we saw uh, the broadcast of it. Um, he privately, him as an individual, knelt down, uh, took a moment to pray, and then obviously went ahead and, and, and uh, performed his function. Yes. Now, the issue is, is that that private moment of prayer was obviously broadcast and televised, and it was made public from that perspective. However, the reason why... I personally don't take umbrage with it, and I don't think as a nation we have to take umbrage to it, is because he didn't get up and say to all of those people gathered there as parliamentarians or, you know, people sitting in the gallery, that please join me in prayer and follow my prayer principles. He exercised his right under Section 15 very fairly by praying and, 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 you know, performing that particular act. And he could have prayed for all kinds of reasons, seeking some form of, uh, you know, guidance from a higher power, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's for him uh, and, 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 you know, his higher power that he believes in. Yes. Um, that's the first issue. The second issue is also that I think that apart from that, we also need to understand that we have enough legislation and court cases that tell us that you can, in public spaces, um, you know, perform religious ceremonies, yes. provided it's not to the exclusion of others. Yes. Now, we can't argue that the Chief Justice excluded other people because he did not publicly pray for the entire people gathered in, 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 the, in Parliament and then forced them to the exclusion of other, other religions, say, for example, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, uh, or any other uh, form of religion you can imagine, and say that you have to pray the way I pray and you have to pray to the God that I am praying to. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. I mean, the, the option of opting out of that thing is, is was, was in essence there at all times. If you didn't want to participate, or if you wanted to participate in your own way, that was also available to you. Is that? I mean, yeah, that's what fair you're enough. Saying. But I mean, even even so, I don't even think that that matters in this instance mm. because it wasn't a public thing where he asked for support or for people to join in. Okay. He prayed by himself. It wasn't something that he included others in. He didn't ask other people to help him or to join him or to, to, to adhere to what he was doing. He took that moment and he prayed as an individual. So what I'm saying is he exercised his right under Section 15. He did not impose it on others to the exclusion of other religions. It was his private moment and therefore he is well able to do that. And I think that, again, I go back to my original statement on this, is that the Chief Justice, like any other human being, is a holistic person, and he has religious views, and I don't think we have to be concerned unless the Chief Justice or any other official in that position, within the judiciary as an example, starts using their religious bias and start making certain decisions on that basis. Oh. So if the Chief Justice is a Christian, decided that he is going to overturn the law on, say, for example, the termination of pregnancy because it's opposed to his religious principles, 
that is of deep concern. Yes, okay. But no. even if it clashes with his religious morality or beliefs, and there's a constitutional principle that is protected under law and the Constitution, then he needs to adhere to it, and that is exactly what he has done uh, for the number of years that he has been serving the Constitutional Court. So therefore, as a nation, we don't have to be concerned. Yes. Yeah, okay. And, 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 and we, we hope that it can, of course, remain that way. I suppose one of the fears okay. by... Uh, by individuals is that if we open the door even slightly to religion is that we yeah. may not have someone quite as benevolent as the current chief justice or a, a person of authority who's not quite as as uh, open-minded i suppose that's a valid concern but moving to this is the final point if i can just raise one last point on yes. what you just said i think mm. we also need to very very much respect the position of chief justice yeah you know, it's not a willy-nilly um, um, appointment. It's not someone that's just chosen because they've served many, many years in the judiciary and probably made very many bad decisions. It is someone that has to demonstrate a track record of upholding the Constitution under all circumstances. So yeah. the And apart from that, I think the other thing that we also should never forget is that the Chief Justice does not act alone and within a vacuum within the Constitutional Court. If you go through the history of the Constitutional Court, the Chief Justice has one vote like any other judge sitting or any other justice sitting on the Constitutional Court mm. and has been overruled many a times by his colleagues and his contemporaries. And in fact, the only time that he has a role to play at all, if any, that is probably more significant than that of his other uh, colleagues on, on, in the Constitutional Court, is that he ensures that there is, in fact, a majority judgment. So, in other words, he is a swing vote. Yeah. But that swing vote cannot possibly be uh, determined by political uh, leanings or religious leanings or anything that would be subjective to that individual and problematic. Right. So, the last question, perhaps, that I have for you is your, your, your initial... Um, answer to our question was that you believe South Africa is a secular uh, state and yeah. how would and should religious diversity what should it look like in a secular state and do you think our country is a good reflection of that well I think that our country is a wonderful reflection of that uh, of religious diversity I mean that they uh, I'll go back to the point that you raised about uh, you know the observance of Christian holidays I mean, we can take a step in the right direction and obviously ensure that all companies, businesses, uh, departments, the very university that you're studying at and that, you know, many of your peers are studying at, uh, adheres to the fact that if it is, for example, Diwali, the two days of Diwali, that that is maybe a day that's observed and all students are given that day off just as they would be on on a um, you know on a uh, good friday yes. or christmas uh, as the law stands um, at the moment it's only the adherents of that religion who are given the day off and, and, and yeah. i think it's also the subject of an ongoing debate I yeah, mean, yeah. every single year when it's christmas uh i mean because of uh, you know other spaces i find myself in specifically in the media specifically in the public debate space um you know it's something that comes up every single year why is it that Christmas is still a public holiday. And I don't think that as, you know, we've made a concerted effort, I think, as South Africans to review, for example, our calendar of public holidays and to sit down and to say that, listen, we have to give equal um, observance to Hanukkah, to Eid, to Diwali, and any other 
say that is whole, you know, holy and significant to a particular religious group. Yeah. But then obviously you get into a debate about what what percentage do those people constitute. Yeah. And, and the cost and of the economy and, that, and things like that, I suppose, as well. So I'm afraid. The, the cost of the economy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, having a exactly, public holiday. For me, what the important bit is, is that if I'm running a business, an enterprise, and I have 10 people that, who are employed, and seven of them get to get, you know, get the day off on Christmas, and everyone else obviously get the day off on Christmas because it's actually a public holiday, and so too, it's incumbent on me to ensure that, for example, uh, if I have a Jewish person uh, in my team, that I give that person a day off without deducting, say, annual leave, Mm. for their observance. Yeah. Um, and, and for example, at the South African Human Rights Commission, um, uh, which I think is extremely innovative, we have what we call a cultural day. So in other words, which is given to all staff, which means that whatever my cultural leanings are or religious leanings are, if it is a day of religious significance, it's a day that I can take off without impacting on, say, for example, my, my, my annual leave. Um, and I think that if, if more co- companies and more industries, more departments can start emulating something similar, then I think that would be a reasonable accommodation for people, especially on the basis of, 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 of religion. Yeah. But I think that religious tolerance and, and the, the right to freedom of religion, belief and opinion should extend beyond simple token days off. I mean, it should actually extend to how we interact with each other? Do I actually accept, understand, and interact with people of other faiths? So in other words, do I understand that my friend who is Muslim, when he or she comes over to my house, um, has specific catering needs, and I don't make fun of the fact that they might not want to have, uh, you know, the, the pizza with bacon on it. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, no, I understand that. You know, are we, are we respectful of those things? Are yeah, we respectful I... of the fact that yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, my Christian friend might not want to have a drink. Uh, those are the important things that we need to start yes. focusing on. Yes. I suppose as we go as a democracy, these are the questions that we all have to grapple with. But thank you very okay. much for engaging with us today. And your views have been very, very interesting. And I think we can go on and on about this topic. But, I mean, our time is limited. Thank you very, sure. mu- re- thank you very much, Mr. Brooks. I guess the child was there also trying to say, Daddy. <laughs> but I think what we can pick up from, from, from this interview, from both interviews that we had this evening, is basically that voluntariness is important in a secular state, which is something that both uh, our, our guests alluded to as having in South Africa. As long as people are not forced, uh, no punitive measures are put in place for exercising or not exercising your religion, then then we are okay. And for as long as legal decisions by the Chief Justice are made based on the Constitution and not on any particular religion, you know, for as long as we don't have that problem, we are actually okay. Fairness um, by not electing any one religion should should be what matters in, in a secular state. Ultimately, we're a constitutional democracy. And everybody has the right to exercise their freedom of religion, including the, judge, the Chief Justice. We have to remember that the office of the Chief Justice and any other office, serious office bearer in our country is always quite a considered decision. Uh, we do not elect them or appoint them uh, summarily or arbitrarily and that should always be kept in mind so if an if an individual exercises their right to freedom of religion publicly 
I don't think it's cause for concern, particularly when we have so many institutions and so many laws and customs which um, encourage the respectfulness and tolerance of other religions. So tonight we have had a wonderful discussion and I'd like to thank our producers and our technical producer Kutluane Sarame, uh, Simba Honde as well as Nelka and from myself and Millicent, good night. Good night. Law Focus, point, point of information. Law Focus Podcast.